these healthy groups have to have good relationships. You have to take them somewhere spiritually, and they have to see that they're not just a little holy club, but they're supposed to make a difference in the world. You do those three things, you're free to do all kinds of groups. You're free to do the groups that will work in your environment. And to me, that's what makes healthy. Welcome to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. It's a podcast designed for church leaders like ourselves out here who are actively seeking to make disciples for Jesus Christ in the world. I'm your host, Oliver Hersey, and today we're joined again by Bill Search as we discuss the different purposes small groups can have in a ministry setting. Bill, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing great, Oliver. How are you doing today? You know, I am doing well. I can't complain. I'm healthy. The kids are healthy. And uh, yeah, things are on the up and up. So yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, It's good. Things in Oklahoma are well for you. So far, so good. I can't complain. No snow or anything like that? Uh, No, we did. We actually had a little snow this winter. It was just one day and what shuts this town down would be laughable up north. But hey, we have one snowplow for the entire state. So when it snows, we just stop. How much was that snowfall? I just need to know, like, what is a snowfall that shuts down Oklahoma? They claimed that it was five inches, but by up north standards, it looked to me more like two inches. But even an inch will shut this town down because... There's like one snowplow and one shovel for the entire state. So uh, rather than share it, they just cancel everything is what we did. So it was fun. Yeah, (laughs) it was fun. It's funny to think about how perspectives shift among different people and and context is key. We got to talk this episode. We want to talk about what the purposes of a small group is in the discipleship process. And uh, Bill, as as you've shared with us before, you know, we're wired for connection. I mean, people are, we're wired for connection. Connection happens when we gather together. I'm wondering, Bill, maybe let's just start with this basic definition. Like, what is your understanding of what exactly a small group is? I mean, what does it entail? Perhaps you could share with us maybe some of the different types of small groups that you've encountered over the years, participated in or shepherded, whatever it might be. Um, What is a small group and what types have you seen? That honestly is a terrific question. I knew this book that just came out with uh, smallgroups.com, Vibrant Small Groups, seeks to help people answer this. What was the name of that book? Vibrant Small Groups. Vibrant Small Groups. Just came out with smallgroups.com in partnership with that great team. The the question really is so contextual because every ministry, every church is going to answer it slightly differently. And so rather than try to get into all those nuances, and you can check that out in the book, but rather than get into all the little nitty-gritty details, I'll just kind of hit the high level that a small group when I've encountered through the years, almost all of them have uh, emphasis on relationships, some sort of emphasis on spiritual growth, Bible study, that sort of thing. And, and somewhere in there is woven the idea of having an outward perspective, whether it's praying for people outside of the faith or outside of the group or or maybe serving as a group, but that outward expression And that's through the years, just about every small group I've been part of has those things in it. But along the way, I've encountered all kinds of small groups, like your short-term semester-based small groups, the ongoing life group that never ends till someone dies, (laughs) the small groups that are seasonal for a season of life, like newly married or those with kids or studying finances. So they're more theme-based. I've been 
part of small groups that are geographic. So, yeah, you know, in your neighborhood or at least in your close proximity, there is no shortage of groups. And I know I'm missing some. What am I missing here, Oliver? I was going to ask you this as you were just talking. Just do small groups, I mean, do they need to involve people? I don't think about families. I mean, I think about like my own family. I got a family of, of four. I mean, are we in some sense a small group or do, do, do small groups need to be diversified even beyond that? Like, what's your thought on that? Well, I would say, you know, the tightest small group you're going to experience if you have a family is your family. It's a type of small group, but it's also like for those of us who are married, saying is your best friend, your spouse. In a way, that is correct and true and should be at least. But you also have to have friendships and community outside of your immediate family. That's a lot of pressure to put on your immediate family. So if the question is, is my family a small group? If I just have my family, is that enough? I'd say, no, it's not enough because that's just putting way too much pressure on your family. But to think of your family in those terms, true. Now, on the family and small groups conversion, if this is what you mean, I've been part of in many communities what you might call a family group where there's children present in the group. And so I've, I have for, oh, 10 years now, my wife and I have enjoyed being in a group with other adults whose kids are part of the group too. And that runs the age range from little babies all the way up to teenage kids. And it's been a lot of fun uh, moving around the country, being aunts and uncles spiritually to other people's kids and, and their aunts and uncles to my kids. So if you were talking about the kind of family being a group together, I'd say absolutely. Yeah. That is one type. You know, I think I was thinking more along the lines of your nuclear family. Can that function sometimes as a small group? But I, I, I think what you just said makes a lot of sense. We, we need, it's too much pressure and burden to put on a family for it to be your only small group. We're wired for deep connection. And sometimes that needs to be diversified in order for us to be the healthiest disciple out there that, that's growing in the way of Jesus. We need we need men, we need women, we need people around us who are older, younger, people who are ahead of us. I mean, in the family, if you just relied on your nuclear family, you're missing out on being around the person who's maybe 10 years ahead of you that perhaps has some wisdom you could glean, uh, which is the beautiful thing about some small groups when you have the diversified age demographics present. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think of uh, some of the early fights I had with my wife. If we were the only small group we had, (laughs) she would tell me I was wrong. I'd tell her she was wrong. The beauty of being in a small group is my small group was able to tell me I was the one that was wrong. (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't have a great track record of my small group siding with me over my wife, but, but it was really helpful in the process of being a newly married person to have that outside opinion. So so that the, the closeness of family is important, no doubt. And to have a spiritual component in your family is very Absolutely. important. That's true. Having a group of people that exist outside of that, that you can, you know, sort of put up with for a period of time or for a season of life. That's uh, that's a good thing. Now, I know I'm missing some of the different types of small groups. You've ex- you and I've talked about some that you're just kind of diving into one particular yeah. type of small right, group right. that's quite fascinating. Yeah, so so our church, so I'm a pastor of discipleship in a mid-sized church in the Chicago area, and I get a chance to help facilitate and organize and empower a lot of small group leaders, and different small groups exist. And one of the small groups, so, so I'll just go through some of the ones we have, and we have Celebrate Recovery groups, which are great 
places for people who are experiencing some trauma or hurt to be amongst others who are seeking to heal. And we got small groups that focus on diving deeper into scripture and learning more about God's way in the Bible. And they share with each other. And these are, you know, variety of ages and different types of people in these groups, different genders in this group. And those are helpful. And then we got groups where there's people who are doing some one-on-one type discipleship where they're trying to work with a mentor and grow. But the new group that we have that we didn't have before this was, it's called Alpha. And, and we didn't have any sort of group for the new people coming into our church who didn't have any sort of foundation for their faith. And I think as as we move into this 21st century here, we're going to experience that a lot more, especially in the United States. People who did not grow up in a home where the family went to church or read the Bible. And so we're experiencing that now in this mid-sized church. We have people coming there who don't have any sort of working framework for the biblical narrative or what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And so we're creating these alpha groups that are really discussion-based groups that are safe places for people to kind of explore faith, explore the Christian faith. And I, I mean, I, I'm assuming you're probably familiar I, with Alpha. You, I love that. I think that we're just, we're relational people. And so we love to talk. Yeah. And even people who say, I don't like to talk, they like to talk about how they don't like to talk. So <laughs> we, wait we, a minute, Bill, what are you trying to say, Bill? Of, <laughs> yeah, we need all kinds of groups out there. And I, the Alpha material is absolutely fantastic. In fact, our church does that as well. And I think to myself, so often I'm sitting in that program and listening to some of the material there before they turn it over to discussion. I think, boy, I wish we would we would tell people who are Christians, or at least think they're Christians, they ought to go through Alpha too, because it just exposes you to some great, great material. But it, it, all, it highlights that there really is no shortage of types of groups in the church, right. everything from the Bible study to the place for a seeker to explore faith. All of that is good for small groups. You know, I think about some of the groups that are at Calvary, our church. So we had a membership process where people would just show up on a Sunday afternoon and become members. And and there was, there was a lacking of substance. So what we've done over the last couple of years is we've created a small group experience for what does it look like to, what does membership even mean here? And what does it look like? What are you becoming a member of? And so we have a small group experience now that kind of helps people understand our church, our mission, and a space for you to get to know our, our elders, our pastoral staff, as well as other new people joining. And so that's another type of small group that we have. It's a five-week experience. I'm curious what you would say about this. If you and I right now were designing a healthy, thriving church, you're an executive pastor, you have a lot of experience in this. What types of small groups out there, I mean, if we were to look at the tapestry of small group options, what would we want? What would we need to have as we think about a person's journey in discipleship? And uh, and I'm thinking about the ministry leaders out there listening, like how could we help them think critically about their own church context and what groups might be missing? What would we create, Bill? Sure. There's a, um, you, and that's a great place to start is what is my ministry context? Because what makes sense for me in Oklahoma City may not make sense for someone in Buffalo, New York, or Tampa, Florida, or Los Angeles. All those are different ministry contexts. I remember being in Nairobi, Kenya, oh, uh, 15 years, 20 years ago now, practically, and uh, talking about small groups. And one of the pastors I talked to said, well, the problem is in the evening, it's not safe for a lot of our people to be out on certain streets and certain areas. And so having an evening small group isn't going to work for us. What do you recommend? And I was stunned. I didn't have anything to recommend because that was a new problem I hadn't thought about, the actual safety of the streets Hmm. 
and the need to stay home once the lights went out. And in our environment, in most of the United States, that's not an issue. But we do have other issues like long commute times or, you know, suburban versus urban centers and the types of cultures that respond to different opportunities. So you have to, have to, have to start and think, your context. you know, what is going to work and my environment. Yeah. But then I, I synthesize it down. What are the raw essentials? So when you, you ask a question, what makes a group healthy or vibrant? I would just kind of start out from a place of you've got to have good relationship stuff happening there. So, Bill, you have so much experience as an executive pastor uh, thinking about designing churches and, and, and helping churches be healthy and thriving. When you think if you and I right now were to start designing a church and thinking of and we're thinking about all the ministry leaders out there listening to this and they're thinking about their own context, what types of small groups need to exist in this healthy church and why. And, and I think I want to help right now ministry leaders listening, take a critical look at their own churches and ask the question, what might be missing based on this conversation? So Bill, as we think through this, what would we want? What, what types of small groups would we need for the different people in our church and the seasons of life they're in? You're asking, Oliver, really the pivotal question here, which is what works in my ministry context? What's God calling me to do in my church right here where I serve. Because what works for me here in Oklahoma City may not work in LA, or it may not work in Buffalo, New York. It may not work in Tampa, Florida. You have to ask the question, what works in your area? What works for the culture of your church? Because different church cultures are going to respond to different opportunities differently. So I would synthesize it down to what are the raw essentials that every group ought to have. Hmm. And so for me, I, I wrote about this years and years ago in Simple Small Groups, my first book, but every group has to have a relationship component. Every group has to have a spiritual formation component, and every group ought to have an outward cultivating hearts for others sort of missional component, hmm. those three things. My, my friend Steve Gladen with Purpose Driven Ministries, he would say there's five. You know, he'd say, hey, those three are good, but you also have to have worship and you have to have ministry or evangelism in the in the mix there, too. And I just I always come back to the simplest form. What do you have to have to have something healthy? So that gives you great freedom. If you think in terms of those patterns, these healthy groups have to have good relationships. You have to take them somewhere spiritually and they have to see that they're not just a little holy club, but they're supposed to make a difference in the world. Yeah. You do those three things. You're free to do all kinds of groups. You're free to do the groups that will work in your environment. Yeah. And to me, that's what makes healthy. What do you think of that? I think what you're saying, you know, you took that in a different direction. And I like that you're, you're saying, you know, the types of group it matters less the types of groups out there. What matters is the ingredients that make the group up. And those three ingredients, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, right? You need the spiritual growing component in terms of spiritual formation. You need healthy relationships where people are, are connecting with one another. And you need to be going somewhere in terms of mission. And I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. So in that case, if you have a CR group that's really a space for people who are, that's right. are hurting, that's fine. That, if you're hurting and you feel most comfortable here among other people who are also hurting, we also need some healthy people here. We need a healthy relationship. We need a goal in terms of spiritual development. And we also want to think missional. And if those three ingredients exist, then the CR groups are healthy. And if you're like, well, we need that, like that alpha group, right? That beginner's group. Same thing. 
we need the spiritual formation component, the healthy relationships. So I kind of like the way you took that. I, I feel like it's less about the types of groups that we need to have and more about the ingredients and the leaders that we're raising up. So let me ask you this. I want to throw this at you. Like I'm thinking about the ages now of people, right? We all need different people around us at different seasons of life. What's the youngest small group that you, you think people are like ready to, to start diving into? Like how old is... You mean at, at what age? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, what age? Yeah, exactly. You could do it with toddlers in your Come on. children's program. And I mean it. Yeah. This is, this is actually, there's a whole range of small group theory that exists in the university system okay. right now. University of Minnesota is one of the thought leaders on this issue. Johnson & Johnson, not the medical people, but two brother researchers up there okay. at university have written on this subject. Small groups have moved into educational institutions, kindergarten and preschool, all the sure. way through elementary, middle, high school. So, you know, we're talking about it from a church point of view. Educators have seen the value of a small group talking about what they're learning in a classroom setting. They've been talking about this for decades. So this fits at every age group, the expectations of what they can do. You're probably not going to have three-year-olds holding each other accountable, Yeah, but they can still maybe learn some names and function together like a little group in that little nursery area. And uh, I know for us, it might seem very young, but like I said, educators for a long time have seen value in this. I, I think that's so fascinating. I mean, that's what we're doing, right? Our churches, our healthy, thriving churches, our places where we're raising disciples. It's an educational platform that Jesus can use and, and does use to raise up future followers of him. And so why not start our small group process for discipleship? in the toddler program. It makes you think really critically now about, I'm going to go back right now and think through our kids' life program and think to ourselves, okay, how are we doing right now raising up small group leaders for these kids and making sure that we're creating space for healthy relationships to happen? What type of spiritual formation needs to happen in these kids' lives right now? And, and then how do we get this little group of like kindergartners missional? I mean, I'm just thinking like, that's going to be exciting to think through that. Like, <laughs> well, might be, might be sharing their cracker with each other. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, well, exactly. It's something simple. Here's the other neat part. If you have, let's say, uh, second graders in a small group, you could have middle schoolers serving as the small group leader. Right. So this is also part of the development of the leadership within the church. There's usually always someone behind you as well as someone ahead of you. And so there's always an opportunity to serve in different directions by opening this up. And there are churches all over the United States that are using small groups within their children's ministry to help forge a little more intentionality. So your question is actually quite good on the reality of, of it. And then on the age, the other end, I don't think you're ever too old. The opportunities to circle up with some friends who understand what you're going through. I attend a men's Bible study where the average age is probably 65 or 70. And uh, <laughs> it, it's a health report to say the least. But that group of guys, they know what they're yeah. when they start talking about certain illnesses or or the nursing homes they're choosing for their wives. I'm telling it's you real. what. There's some tears shed, but the guys get it. It's very real. And if they didn't have that community, where would they where would they go with this stuff? And so 
I sneak in. I, I, they joke when I show up that I bring down the average age <laughs> a decade and I do, but I, there's, so that there is not, you're not too young or too old to be in a community. I think. When, as you were talking, I thought about how Jesus even set his disciples up. He would often, there's these passages in the new Testament where the children are coming and sometimes the disciples are pushing them away and Jesus is saying, no, let them come. And it's this idea of like, he's helping these young teenage boys, his disciples figure out how to take care and shepherd these even younger kids. And Jesus is trying to instill that in, in a healthy environment. Let them come. Let them be part of this. And so I love what you just said. Having the middle school kids help out with your, your kindergartners and the high school kids help out with your middle schoolers. Absolutely. That is so necessary. And I think too often, I have found this to be true, at least in some of the contexts I've been in, I think too often ministry leaders handicap ourselves by saying, well, you're, they're too young. And, and I think we underestimate sometimes the power of what God can do through a life. Indeed. So thanks, Bill. We appreciate your thoughts on small groups here. This has been really helpful for me as I'm thinking through my own ministries. Um, We want to thank those of you who tuned into this episode of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast. This is a podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. And again, you can visit the website smallgroups.com to get books, Bible studies, and training tools as you continue to build your ministries and your small group ministries. So until next time, take care. Take care.